0: Today, I will be chatting with Ayla Barmer. Ayla is a registered dietitian. For over 15 years, she has been advancing the health and empowerment of thousands of clients, patients, peers, and mentees at the intersection of nutritional science, functional medicine, and evidence-based holistic solutions. Ayla is the founder and CEO of FullWell, a fertility, wellness, and education brand widely endorsed by a diversity of health practitioners for its quality products and education. While currently on a sabbatical from private practice work, Ayla owns and operates Boston Functional Nutrition, an integrative and functional nutrition multi-clinician practice that specializes in women's health and infertility. Ayla also co-founded the Women's Health Nutrition Academy in 2018, a leader in its field. In today's episode, we will talk all about prenatal vitamins. What nutrients do I need to be looking for? How much of each nutrient? What do I look for to make sure the brand is high quality? After talking about prenatals, we will veer off a bit and chat about the importance of men's preconception health and the emerging research behind that. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Our first sponsor today is Navy Hair Care. I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, This shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order. And I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Hello, Ayla. How are you today? I'm glad to have you here. I'm great. Thanks, Lindsay, for having me on. So I want to briefly chat about how I originally found your brand full And it was, oh my gosh, it was when I was still pregnant with my fourth. So it was at least two years ago, probably about two and a half years ago. And I was looking specifically for a prenatal vitamin that contained a good amount of vitamin D and magnesium, which is very, very hard to find, which we can talk about why later on. But I found you because of that, because I was specifically looking for a high amount of vitamin D and magnesium in one prenatal vitamin. And I finally found it in yours. And so, lo and behold, like two and a half years later now, talking to you here, I'm really excited because I was telling you before we started that. I think one of the, you know, top five questions that I used to get from people all the time when I was on social media was about prenatal vitamins because it is so difficult to it's just overwhelming to find, you know, this prenatal that's going to be perfect for you. And there's all this science out there that's like, okay, well you need this much amount of, you know, choline, you need this much amount of magnesium and vitamin D and the difference between folate, folic acid. It's just, it's very, very confusing, I think. And I'd love for this episode to kind of break it down for everybody so that they understand what they truly need in a prenatal vitamin and then we're gonna talk about some other fun stuff during the episode too. I'd love to talk about first if you're you know a layperson trying to figure out and research trying to find a prenatal vitamin, what are the most crucial things that you're looking for straight off the bat to be to be able to identify the quality of of the vitamin because I feel like the wellness industry has like Really taken off within the past couple of years while everybody was spending money, spending time and money on the internet. And so there's, you know, a lot of these supplements out there, and, you know, many of them not regulated prenatal vitamins are considered this dietary supplement. How do we know the quality that is in these prenatal vitamins that we are researching?
1: Yeah, I love that we're starting with that question because. That question is really what led me into starting Fullwell. I'm a health practitioner first. You know, I mean, Fullwell was born as an adjunct to my clinical practice, in part because I really wanted to get behind the curtains, you know, of the supplement industry and really understand exactly what goes into creating and formulating and the manufacturing process, and how can I have control over all of the ingredients and supply chains and the testing and and do things the way that I'd really want to. I found in general, there's a lack of transparency because it's not required under any regulation, but a, a bit of a lack of transparency around quality control, around things that really matter when it comes to supplements. So you know, for example, I won't call out any specific brands, but there are a lot of brands who have got really superior marketing, right? And it's confusing. And they're pointing you towards the things that don't really matter, right? (laughs) Calling that quality measures. But from my perspective, the things that consumers really want to look for in any dietary supplement that you're consuming, that you're putting in your body during any stage of life, but I mean, is there any stage more important, right? Than when you're pregnant or in breastfeeding is, is testing, and not just going based on a company's word for it when it comes to testing, but actually getting your hands on those results. And that is something that I, I believe, at least when I started this company, any any dietary supplement company should provide is their testing results. And so what that can look like is a COA. So that's a, that stands for Certificate of Analysis. I would say that's really what you're looking for, um, because that will summarize all of the testing. But you also want confirmation that that testing was not just done in house or and it's not just done randomly or once right and it's actually testing the things you want tested so just briefly what you're really wanting is not just in-house testing but third party verified so you know that company should really be sending it out to an independent lab to 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 get some to get verify those testing results you want things like heavy metals for sure because that's a huge issue in the dietary supplement world and there was one thing that really caught my attention, and I, I think this was also a motivator for me looking back at when I started thinking about going down this road, was a report on just the number of prenatal supplements that had harmful levels of heavy metals in them. And so that to me, I was like, this is, this is a problem. And they're not, you know, companies don't have to disclose it. So you really want testing results. It needs to be heavy metals at a minimum. I mean, I've decided to add in things like glyphosate and BPA and phthalates because, the health practitioner in me that looks at you know the data around some of these harmful contaminants and what they can do to our hormones fertility and ultimately babies long term health that those were also of concern to me but that would be that would be something that i would really encourage listeners to look at when they're considering a dietary supplement The other thing would be the doses and the forms of nutrients. And I know we're going to get into talking about this when with specific examples, but there's the standard I would say in the industry is to, I think there's recognition of certain nutrients that need to be in a formula depending on what it's trying to achieve. And so sometimes those ingredients those nutrients are included but they're not in amounts that are ever going to be efficacious or evidence based right they're they're not in amounts that matter and i think a a good example of this would be choline you know if you if you see it at all in a prenatal It's, it's, it's usually in very small amounts, which we can talk about why that don't aren't going to really be impactful or helpful. So amounts of nutrients and then forms, you know, and this, this does take a bit of research, working with a knowledgeable practitioner, registered dietitians are really awesome in this area, for the (laughs) most part, I mean, I have to
0: say. Shameless plug.
1: Yeah, right. Um, but you know, a nutrition professional with a background and understands like different forms of nutrients, I think that can also really help. So, so I guess just to summarize, you know, I think testing, testing results, ideally, you're confirming that those are independent third party results, you're getting a certificate of analysis on any product, you're, that company is testing every single batch, lot is another way to put it and not just randomly testing the finished product that's that's really important too and not commonly done very uncommonly done I should say the forms of nutrients and the amounts you want you want those to be the forms to be the most bioavailable easy to use by the body and you want the amounts to actually be efficacious
0: Right. So two things. So you had just mentioned something that I wanted to touch on because bioavailability is a huge thing. You, you know, you could, you could look at the back of something and say, Oh, wow, it has all of these different things. But if your body can't actually break those things down, then it's completely useless. And it's just a very expensive pill that you're going to poop. out. <laughs> and then the second thing was, so if I'm somebody that is researching a, a certain prenatal And I'm like, okay, this one looks like it's really good. How do I go about obtaining this certificate of analysis and making sure that they're third party verified and all of that? Like, what would be my my steps? Is it typically listed on their website or?
1: Yeah, there are certain things that the FDA does regulate. And one of them if the company is, you know, doing what they're supposed to, they do have to have some sort of contact information on the label itself of the product. So if you're at a store and you're picking something up, you should see a phone number or an email or a website, you know, like a website to go to. So that that's the way to start. I mean, some the really good companies are putting like their COAs call outs to how to get it. You know, I think to me that's, you know, let's not make it hard <laughs> for people.
0: Right. Like oh, that. absolutely. If I'm a company and I just put all this work into creating this product and it it's high quality. I want people to know that I have my certificate of analysis and I'm doing, you know, third-party verification and all of those things. I would put it like where you could see it in the top of my website or what, what have you. But if it's not anywhere on there, then I feel like that's almost the first sign. <laughs> and then I the second sign would be, you know, if you were to email them and say, you know, I'm interested in buying your product you know, do you happen to have a certificate of analysis? Are you third party verified? And those types of things into the email. And then if you don't hear back, or you hear some to- some type of run around, then perhaps they don't actually have those things.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's kind of interesting, too, is there are and this is unfortunate, but there are like third there are like these third party like independent watchdog groups that exist in the industry and they aren't necessarily all bad players but there are actually a number of them that come across quite legit and are not and so that's something that I've also learned in being in this industry too as a health practitioner I you know there's some of these organizations I thought were great options for consumers and even health practitioners for helping doing some of this vetting but the reality is you can't even you can't really rely on that either so I think go
0: straight to the data Oh, that's so interesting. So like they make a business out of being the third party verification. Oh my gosh. I... Think like Yelp.
1: <laughs> so okay. I probably shouldn't say that I'm going to get calls, but um, you know, the, <laughs> but you know, there's some of the, some of the organizations like they've gotten into that business model where it's like, they're um kind of a little bit threatening if you're not paying them. And it's, it's just not, it's sort of to publish disparaging data and things like that. So it's, there's some, some shady things like that going on. I mean, the dietary, supplement industry is a, is a huge, is a huge business. And so it lends itself to all different types of players, I think.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of the crucial ingredients. So let's say, okay, we've, we've chosen this prenatal. Now let me check, you know, what the nutrients are within it. What are the crucial nutrients right off the bat that I definitely want to have in my prenatal?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned choline earlier. So I think that's a great place to start because choline is so under talked about, under discussed when it comes to the uh, importance with fertility, prenatal nutrition, and actually breastfeeding breast milk quality as well. And so choline, about 90 to 95% of women are are consuming less than the adequate intake level for, for choline. So the majority of people are not getting it enough. And in fact, we could we could probably argue that it's everyone, given that there's newer data now showing that we need almost double what the adequate intake level is to really help influence cognitive development over the longer term for for baby and children. So choline is really important. It's actually, you hear quite a bit about folate, folic acid, with regards to neural tube defect prevention, but choline plays a really important role in supporting healthy brain development, placental function, and neural tube development as well, because it plays a role in methylation. So it's 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 just i can't overemphasize that one and really um we aren't consuming as much as we we have historically in most cultures traditionally because we don't have foods like organ meats including liver as consistently part of our diets, you know, as we we maybe once was. And if you look at, I mean, it is really so fascinating. We could go down <laughs> this rabbit hole, but yeah, yeah. you know, like traditional diets for pregnant and postpartum women would be really rich, you know, in organ meats and bone broths and things like that, that you just, you don't see, you know, as much now. And so I think there's there's a lot of reasons as to why we've gotten to a place where we need to supplement with nutrients. It's a big topic, but choline choline's one of them. And you can't, achieve enough choline with just eggs. Um, I would say, you know, you would need to eat like eight a day. So if you'd include 300 milligrams of choline in full well prenatal, which is a substantial amount, I would say it's difficult to put into supplement form, because it's very large. And so it does drive up the number of capsules per serving. So to me, the first red flag with a prenatal supplement is if it's a one a one day, <laughs> you know, a one a day, I know we all want that we all want the gummies, we all want like a one a day. And if I could have made a prenatal less capsules per serving than I did, I would have but you know, it meant sacrificing the things that we actually really need to be supplementing with and focusing on the wrong nutrients.
0: So a few things about that. So gum, you mentioned gummies. So with my first pregnancy, I was incredibly nauseous. And so I also did absolutely zero research. Didn't even look, just was like, oh, you know, this one looks good on Amazon. Gummies, they tasted good, like done, two a day, you know, and they were easy to eat. Looking back, I mean, it probably wasn't even, I don't even know if it was beneficial at all. I'm sure it was a little bit, but when I discovered yours, I was like, oh my God, because it's eight, right? It was four in the morning, four at night is what I would do because I I couldn't do everything at once. So I'd kind of split it up or I'd do it like at breakfast and at dinner or whatever. And for me personally, that was just like the easiest way for me to do it. And I would always, I know some people are like, oh, you know, but I'm like, really nauseous and and I can't tolerate these, which is always a huge issue. And I think that's why some people do switch to like a gummy type of vitamin because they just can't swallow the pill. So I totally understand that. And the way I kind of got around that was I would always just put them into applesauce or like a yogurt. And you essentially don't even know it's there or ice cream. I mean, I don't know, whatever you can do to like get it down and you're not going to be able to taste it once you kind of stuff it in there. That's what I've kind of done. I don't know if you have any like little tricks or anything that you could offer, but what do you typically say to people that just can't like they're extremely nauseous first trimester and they just can't tolerate the pills?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you offered those tips because I know when people hear A a day, it kinda of blows their mind a little bit. And I know when I started this, everyone was like, Ayla, what are you thinking? You're no one's gonna take this. But I thought, you know, I'm not just trying to put out another prenatal supplement that is subpar just to sell it. You know, it wasn't the intention. It's really like, Okay, what what do we actually need? What needs to be in there? Let's start there. And that's the reasoning. And so I mean choline, calcium, magnesium really, really big nutrients that but drives up. Is yeah. True. And we could, we could definitely talk about why that's in there too. But those, those take up a lot of space. And so um, that's the reasoning behind it. And I do think when, when, when women understand the why it makes, it helps. (laughs) But a couple of tips is if you start, I'm a big proponent of trying to start supplementing preconception um and and how this relates to nausea is i think if you can it, well i've seen you know if you start if you can build up some of those nutrient stores and get to a place where you have more of those supportive nutrients on store in on board it can help reduce nausea i mean nothing fully combats those hormones you know but it can help quite a bit i mean being some you know there's some relationship to the increased thyroid hormone needs and and nausea there's which is a very nutrient intensive process Actually, there's a lot of links to nutrients and and nausea that at least can help. So, so anyway, starting preconception is is really smart. Also, especially because that neural tube, which we talked about, closes. Week five of pregnancy, which is like maybe before you even have a positive test. So you need to make sure those those nutrients like the choline and folate and bees are all on board. But yeah, as you mentioned, you can open up the capsules. You can stir them into, I think, any cooler room temperature beverage. I don't really recommend hot because that might oh, I don't even think about nutrients. opening up the capsules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 so you can just open them up. That does work. The reason we don't put it directly in a powdered form is primarily because my concern with powdered formats of prenatals through my own research and development is that the nutrients are all different sizes and weights, and I've done a lot of testing on like the finished product and making sure that it meets label claims, which is not typical. In the industry, most people measure what goes into the formula at the beginning and not what's in it at the end, and so I've I've tested that and I have concerns with the settling of nutrients that the really tiny ones get lost and you may not get folate and B twelve in the majority of your servings and then too much in others. So so anyway, that that's why we don't do that. I think it's also it's also really hard when you're pregnant because I mean I've been pregnant twice too, to like commit to one flavor every single day. Uh,
0: And one day, one day it's strawberry and the next day it's like, no thanks. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. So so I I kind of meandered there with your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) This podcast episode is brought to you by Element. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio. 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No sugar, coloring, or artificial ingredients. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. Electrolytes can facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte lost is sodium. Athletes can lose up to 7 grams per day. When it's not replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. You can adjust how much you want in your drink by adding Element to 8, 12, 24, or 32 ounces of water. Personally, I always add one pack to my 32-ounce water bottle at the beginning of a workout. I've really been loving the watermelon and raspberry salt flavors the most. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets, free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all flavors. There's eight of them in total. Or you can share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. This deal is only available for my link. You can head over to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash Lindsay. Element offers no questions asked refunds as well. Let's talk a little bit about... First, I want to talk about vitamin D. So the vitamin D that you have, it also, to me, was much more than other supplements as well, right? Am I right with that? Because I feel like... Is it 4,000 IU? What is it? It is. It's 4,000 IU. Which I feel like is unheard of in a prenatal. And I just supplement with vitamin D on a daily basis anyway. I mean, we live in New England, we never see, I mean, you don't get a whole ton of vitamin D from the sun anyway. I mean, obviously if you're more near the equator and you're outside every day all day, then probably, but for the most part, it's, it's not something you're getting mostly from the sun, but I've always just supplemented with it because I've always been extremely deficient and a lot of people are deficient. What made you choose the 4,000?
1: Yes. So data, you know, really with the 4,000 IUs, we have well-designed studies. So randomized clinical control trials that show us that that's actually the 4,000 IUs is not at all excessive. It's actually the minimum amount shown in these trials to achieve sufficiency in, in women at birth and babies, regardless of race or actually geographical location, which mm, I found interesting. Yeah. So, yeah see? Yeah. Yeah. So even if you are in warmer climates and getting that sun exposure, we still, I mean, I think, and this is me g- guessing a little bit here, but there's, we're not living, you know, in nomadic tribes anymore. <laughs> we're spending a lot more time no matter where and how close to the equator you are. You know, we're spending a lot more time, time indoors. We're covered up. We've got sunscreen. So, and then you combine that with the fact that vitamin D needs go up dramatically in pregnancy to help support baby. Skeletal development primarily, but also immune function. And vitamin D is just an interesting nutrient. It has a lot of synergy with other nutrients like vitamin A and K2, both of which are in the product. And so, concerns for me, it is about balance of nutrients too. And so, that was a thought that was part of the formulation and the thought behind it too. So, I, I think for anyone that's concerned about that level, it's nice and well balanced with vitamin K2, which helps complement the absorption of that vitamin D it again we've got really well designed research trials data like on on that level as being minimum so a lot so
0: some women will need more
1: you know to yeah. keep their levels up
0: yeah yeah what about magnesium why did you choose 300 yeah this you know so magnesium
1: is really important mineral that we know we are getting less of and is is less available in our food supply than it once was so this gets into changes in the way that we're producing food and soil quality and even coming down to medications that deplete magnesium which the list is really long including just super common like over-the-counter ones it's just a common it's needed as a cofactor in so many different metabolic Processes and detoxification and all of that—that it's—and we're not getting as much in in our diet in modern diets that it becomes something that we we do need a lot more of. And magnesium is a mineral that's also really important for for bone development. It's needed for, like I said, a cofactor in a lot of different metabolic processes. So we're really talking about. So at a cellular level. And there's no time where there's more activity going on than, you know, during from fertilization on, you know, in pregnancy. So, and magnesium is also really helpful for blood pressure regulation. It is helpful for its calming, it can help support sleep and mood. If there was one nutrient I had to say was my favorite nutrient to be supportive in a wide variety of areas throughout really any stage of life, it would be magnesium. But magnesium glycinate in particular is the form that we use. And the part of the reason there is that glycine is an amino acid that's it's bound to. It's very easy to tolerate. So the more common option in supplements is magnesium oxide, because it's a lot, a lot cheaper, like a lot less expensive, but it's very low in bioavailability. So you're really not absorbing or able to utilize a lot of that magnesium if it's in the oxide form. And then magnesium citrate is another, there's quite a few different forms, but many will cause like kind of a laxative effect. And that could be an issue with, with magnesium. Sometimes you want that effect, but you have to be cautious with that in pregnancy overstimulating, you know, the uterus, things like that. So magnesium glycinate has additional kind of mood, calming benefits, as well as being really well tolerated.
0: Yeah. There was a, a few different reasons why, but postpartum, I was like really trying to increase my magnesium because it really helped to, when you're postpartum, going to the bathroom is an incredible difficulty that no one tells you about. (laughs) And, and magnesium was really helpful with that. It helped for me, it helped like headaches, postpartum, it helped, again, my mood, like you were saying, it helped me to sleep. Because, you know, your sleep is obviously all over the place with a newborn and, and a baby under six months. And I just helped, it helped me, like once I was laying down to fall asleep fat like it just I wasn't up like worrying about a million things. I I just I felt like it was more of like a relaxing thing. And I could always tell, you know, if there was a few days where I missed it in a row. I was like, why am I feeling so, you know, anxious or, you know, I, I can't sleep at night? And I, I swear it was it was due to that. And again, this is obviously, you know, just my experience, but I like you said i mean I, I really truly think it does help with some of those things and it's it's hard to find that amount of magnesium into a prenatal
1: yeah, i mean you need a you need a few hundred milligrams to really have an impact you know if you're you're looking at you know I've seen labels with twenty milligrams fifty milligrams i mean it's it's not like it's not having some benefit but it's it's not enough to really that's that's again comes back to the to the really importance of efficacious amounts, you know, it not just being on the label as a check mark, but enough to to make a difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's touch on one more nutrient and that's folate versus folic acid. I feel mm-hmm. like this is a huge one. Yes.
1: Yeah, so um <laughs> this it is amazing how hotly debated this is and it kind of boggles my mind because for a couple of reasons. So first, if we talk about what we find in food, right? Folate in food comes, about 80% of it is in the form of methylfolate, methyl tetrahydrofolate. That's what we're going to see in the the food supply. We also will see many other types and forms of folate, including folinic acid or calcium folinate. So those are some natural forms that we find in the food supply. Now, we didn't start... Fortifying the food supply with synthetic, man-made folic acid until the 90s, the late 90s. And that was in an effort to really help prevent neural tube defects. Folic acid is, is what I, as I said, you know, the the synthetic form. Synthetic is not always bad. However, I always like to think about it as what's the most bioavailable form. So what can we utilize the best? Now, folic acid does fairly well in the research studies because it's actually very easily absorbed in the gut. But it's not utilized as efficiently as methylfolate or calcium folinic acid. It requires conversion, which is requires enzymes in, in, in a specific enzyme in particular. And, you know, whether or not you believe in, cause this can be a little controversial in the the conventional medical world, you know, whether or not you believe in the the impact of MTHFR genetic mutations on our ability to really utilize folic acid. It's kind of if we set that aside, we know that you do need to produce enough enzyme to convert that folic acid and that there will always be some there is some percentage that does that cannot be converted. And so I get concerned with what happens to that. And so when I look in the research, that's called unmetabolized folic acid. And I've, I've, I've done really deep dives on folate, and unmetabolized folic acid does is problematic in a number of ways. So, so to me, it just makes a lot of sense, you know, to use methylfolate, calcium folinate, the the types of folate that we're finding naturally in food, because we know that they're highly bioavailable, they also have established dietary folic acid equivalents. So that's NIH, FDA, we've got a calculation. So if someone is concerned, you know, that it's it's not folic acid and it's, it's another form of folate, right on the label by requirement, you have to list the dietary folic acid equivalents. So that's what that DFE stands for. We have 800 micrograms of predominantly methylfolate in our product in the prenatal And then a little bit of folinic acid as well. And that's the equivalent of 1360 micrograms of dietary folic acid. So it's really kind of the best of both worlds. Yet I do find it gets, it gets a lot of really heated attention. That's my take though.
0: It, it, I feel like it's even more confusing for somebody that, you know, is not in the nutrient or science field at all. And they go to Google and they say, okay, you know, folate, versus folic acid? Like, what do I need in my prenatal? And then it, it's like, okay, what? I'm even more confused than I was before yes, I yes. It's, it's one of those types of things, you know? And anyways, thank you for explaining that. podcast episode is brought to you by little spoon back to school season is already upon us again and i don't know about you but i'm excited to get back into a routine with our kids one way to make your life just a bit easier during the school year is with healthy meals and snacks from little spoon for babies toddlers and even big kids delivered right to your door they even have a new smoothie line that we are all excited to try little spoon is just like homemade meals all delivered right to your door and ready in seconds you can store these in your fridge or freezer and just use them when necessary. I personally like having meals like this on particularly busy school nights where we have sports or other extracurriculars that make it tough to have dinner on the table in time. I also love that they even hide vegetables like butternut squash and carrots into the mac and cheese. The joke's on you kids. Make this year's chaos a little bit more manageable with time-saving delicious and healthy meals and snacks you can feel good about. Enter code Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y at checkout to get 50% off your first Little Spoon order. That's 50% off your first Little Spoon order with the code Lindsay at checkout. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit. We talked about this very, very briefly earlier, but let's talk about whole food based versus synthetic supplements and you know, what does this mean? What's the best? Yeah, so this is again
1: where marketing has really. There's been a lot of marketing dollars, you know, put into what I think you know feels like intuitively it would make sense too, uh, which is that whole food based supplements would be better. And I, you know, as a dietitian, and I've always described myself as like a real food dietitian. I'll always promote food first, you know, over dietary supplementation for sure. I had to really examine that, you know, as well and the reality is, yes, food first. However, when it comes to supplements, we want to think bioavailability. So it's not really whether it's whole food based or synthetic, it's really how can our body how well can our body utilize it in supplement form. And in some cases, it's not in the whole food amount. And one of the reasons for that vitamin C is a pretty good example. I would say there's there's a number of nutrients we could we could point out. But vitamin C, if we were to use a whole food vitamin C source, you're basically concentrating fruit, you know, like a fruit source or something, for example, down into a powder, and you have to have so much that you might as well try to go, you know, eat the fruit, it's not it's going to take there's other competing kinds of things in that powder, there's heavy metal concerns and contaminants when in reality, I mean, what you're looking to do is supplement your diet, not just powder food, right, and and put it in. Yeah, so I, I hope I'm kind of saying that clearly. But it's really, it's really a matter of bioavailability. So is the form going to be Absorbed and utilized by the body easily. And of course, we want it to be pure and clean and high quality, but it's not necessarily bad to be synthetic.
0: I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people get confused about just because, with every drug, especially ones that, you know, I'm giving in the emergency department or I send people home with, the bioavailability is going to be different for so many different reasons. And so, is what I'm taking every day, is that even? first of all, is it worth the money? (laughs) Some of these are really expensive. And, and I'm not even just talking about, obviously a prenatal is always going to be worth your money. Like it's, it's a necessary thing, but you know, uh, even supplements that you take on a daily basis when you're not pregnant or postpartum or nursing, you know, it's like the vitamin D you take every day. Well, is this something I'm actually, is my body actually consuming this and, and using it? And it's something that you really should look into because you don't want to be wasting your money on supplements that aren't actually reaching where they need to reach. Okay. So We already talked about gummies. We already talked about one a day. Is there anything else you wanted to point out about those? No, I would just say,
1: yeah, I I think we already talked a little bit about format too. You know, I mean, the other thing about gummies is just, you'll notice if you ever look at a label that they're extremely low in minerals. So not only will they not really contain enough choline, but you really won't see magnesium to any, you know, or like any of the other real minerals. And that's so important. I mean, I can't tell you how many, I mean, I've seen a lot of women in practice who have been pregnant and have come to see me and it's like, their teeth, you know, have been demineralized from pregnancy and breastfeeding. They, they're seeing bone loss. That's not, re- they're, they're not really recovering. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, th- you've really got to focus on the minerals, I guess is my main point. So gummies, you won't see that because generally the taste is, is a problem. So you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna find that in that format.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I know I did want to touch really quick on the paper that you recently wrote, but before I do that, I have a few questions from my community that weren't answered in what we already talked about. So should I move to those? What do you think? Yeah, that's great. Okay. So what are your recommendations for continuing a prenatal postpartum? Like, you know, obviously, if you're nursing, you probably should. But like, what are your recommendations for like, when you should take them up until?
1: Yes. So if we talk first about breastfeeding postpartum for breastfeeding mothers, your nutrient needs, both macro and micronutrient needs are go up significantly. So they're higher postpartum when breastfeeding than they are even during the third trimester of pregnancy. And I don't think that's talked about enough, at least not through most providers that women are seeing. And so my recommendation, especially if you are thinking subsequent children, but even if you're not, would be to take a prenatal through the duration of breastfeeding because of how significant those nutrient needs are, at least through the duration of exclusive breastfeeding, right? But I think, you know, it takes a long time. I mean, there's there's data that even, you know, it can be 18 months, two years. And I know from my experience, I can believe that makes a lot of sense to me that for you to replete, you know, really replete postpartum. So I think I think that's really important. Now, even if you're not breastfeeding, or maybe you do short term, there is so much recovery. You know that happens postpartum. I mean, just even you know, during pregnancy, you grew an entire organ, you know, the placenta, you lose that and there's a almost dinner sized plate hole, you know, left that needs to be repaired, you know, and that, that requires nutrients. And so wound healing, if you had a C-section or even a vaginal birth, there's so much tissue remodeling that's happening. Repair, that's very nutrient intensive, the hormones and those changes, you want to be supporting that mood and sleep. I mean, all those things are affected. And and even coming to, you know, I recently wrote a blog post up on our site on thyroid health and how much more your body has to work to produce thyroid hormone in pregnancy and then the shifts that happen postpartum. And that's really nutrient intensive too. And we want to, we really want to support our thyroid gland. It's so important. So yeah, I would say, you know, duration, through the duration of breastfeeding, I would say for if you're not breastfeeding, I mean, give yourself at least a few months, you know, so that you can, you can recover with some of that tissue repair.
0: let see here. There are so many brain support development options now with prenatals. Are these good or are they just hype?
1: Yeah, they can be good. Um, but it really, de- it depends, right? It depends a lot on the quality and whether it's just marketing or not. One thing I de- this is actually a good opportunity to point out that one thing I do take some issue with, and the reason why we don't include it in our prenatal is including DHA only in a prenatal. So it's actually problematic to take only DHA for a number of reasons. But one of them is that, so DHA is an essential fatty acid that we see, we find in in fish and seafood. It's one of the reasons why, you know, seafood is definitely recommended. Of course, there's heavy metal concerns and that could be like another topic. But, you know, DHA is a really important essential fatty acid for Baby's brain development, but also for protecting mom's stores. So that, but the problem is we need EPA too, another essential fatty acid that's normally found in nature in context with DHA. So it would be found in seafood too. We need EPA to help DHA cross the placenta and make it to baby. And also, we just don't see DHA only ever in, in nature, you know. Um, so, I mean, that's concerning. But there is other research that shows it can actually do more harm than good to do DHA only. And furthermore, I, I, I do have some concerns about the stability of throwing DHA in the mix with a bunch of with nutrients. But so I would say usually brain health supporting type of supplements are including that. And so I'd be just to be wary if it's DHA only, or it's any of those essential fatty acids mixed in with a bunch of vitamins and minerals.
0: Yeah, so that was actually one of these questions on here was literally pertaining to what you were just talking about. So that was great that you touched on that. So stepping up, up aside from prenatals, when it comes to as a registered dietitian, What would you recommend for, say, I don't know, myself who is no longer pregnant, no longer breastfeeding, but on most days I'm depleted. I feel anxious. (laughs) Typical mom stuff. I think you can hear a lot too that, you know, okay, well, I should be getting most of my nutrients, you know, food based. That's how, you know, I'm best going to be absorbing them, but should I also be taking a multivitamin? Is it going to be beneficial to me at all? Like, can you kind of touch on that at all? Because I feel like that is very confusing, even for myself. I'm like, I don't know, do I need a multivitamin now? Because for nine years, I've been taking prenatals. Yeah, right. So I'm like, I don't know, do I do I need anything? Or, you know, like, I just, I guess that can be a little bit confusing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would say, so we are... Living in a a modern environment where it's there's additional stressors on our bodies, right? Like we we have to process more things in our environment from just air pollution to, you know, things that are in our food supply to it's just part of our reality now, you know. And there's also the issue with how... Far food travels to us and the nutrients lost in that mix. There's our soil quality issues. there's there's depletion from common medications. there's so there's a lot of reasons why I think I take issue with the you know, we really just don't I mean we nobody really needs a supplement kind of a thing because I actually think where if it's the right if it's the right one and it's good quality and it's matched to your needs, a well-designed formula, you know, and reasonable, you know, I, it just, I think that's smart to help deal with just life's stressors, modern environment and life stressors. So, I mean, I've got, I've got myself who I'm now post two pregnancies. I've got friends, family, my mother, everybody, you know, on like two to four capsules of, you know, full well prenatal and people really do well with that. I'd say like the four capsules a day is pretty great for that. Like perimenopause, perimenopausal like zone and seems to work really well. I think eight's a bit much at at that point. But so that's an option. Other than that, you know, I think I think the thing to do really is get a really good assessment from a practitioner, if that's accessible to you, where you have them look at, you know, the gaps in your diet your goals, like, I mean, if your goal is not to take any dietary supplements, it's possible, but like, you're going to be eating, you're going to be eating liver, (laughs) you know, and you're going to, you know, (laughs) and like bone broth, like there's going to be like, you know, some things that you got to really do and make an effort to do consistently. So it's, it's possible. It just, it's not always easy.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things where, I mean, like you said, it is so incredibly individualized. Like, I feel like you can't look at you and I, for example, and say, okay, well, we need the exact same, you know, you know, nutrients every day. I think that, I mean, our diets are completely different. Our lifestyles are probably different. You know, like there's just so many things to factor in there. And yeah, so I feel like obviously the best thing to do would be to, you know, see your, you know, healthcare professional and, and talk to them about it. And they can even test you to see, you know, are you deficient in magnesium, are you deficient in vitamin D? These sort of things that you would want to look for more in a multivitamin than than just, you know, grabbing anyone you see and, and taking that.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if I could, I could make just a real quick tip there is that just running blood levels of certain nutrients just through like your PCP isn't always going to give you, that really won't always, and it depends on the nutrient, give you a good insight into what your vitamin or mineral status is. And that kind of blows people's minds sometimes because it's like, you know, of course I would just go get a blood test for B12 or magnesium, but, but the reality is our body can be really good with certain nutrients at Keeping the homeostasis in our blood levels, and also just clearing clearing it, you know that may not be where we store the nutrients. So there's some there's better ways than others for assessing nutrient status, depending on the nutrients. So this is where I'd say, like if you can find a health practitioner that really specializes in nutrition, I mean registered dietitian, a CNS, something like that 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 can that can help you get to the better data.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's great tip. Okay. So, Oh, the one last thing I did want to talk to you about your paper that you wrote on men's preconception health. So this is actually like, I, I never really, I don't feel like this is talked about at all. Right. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about like that emerging research and Mm -hmm. what you found? Yeah. I thought this was really interesting.
1: Oh, I'm so passionate about this and I, and I feel like I'm, I'm really trying to educate on it because I think it's a game changer for, for everyone uh, when it comes to fertility, pregnancy health, babies, long-term health. In fact, I think... It's like the ultimate preventative medicine tool in our toolbox. So I'm I'll just keep talking about it, I think, until until someone if people are interested. But there is more and more research now that is showing that not only women's preconception health, but men's preconception health. So that your health prior to pregnancy, prior to conceiving, so that's preconception health, is so influential on the health of the pregnancy and baby over the long term in a number of ways. And what really exciting to me, I I think, is that there is now research linking men's health, preconception health, so paternal preconception health, to pregnancy complications that we have historically attributed to just a women, women's health and treated as a women's health issue, like preeclampsia, preterm birth, even gestational diabetes. There's a bit of data on that. Yes. So so to me, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, if we're, I've seen some of the current guidelines like the OBGYN obstetrics guidelines, as well as just current best practice. And it's, the current like almost revolutionary next step is to start screening women in the first trimester for some of these complications. And really we should be looking at both partners health preconception because that's, that's where it starts, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but men's men's health and their nutrient status and their overall health actually impacts the way the placenta develops. So it can impact placenta function and overall health of the placenta. And that seems to be the mechanism, the underlying mechanism as to how it influences pregnancy health so so significantly, as you can imagine, because the placenta is what nourishes baby really throughout throughout a pregnancy. So I, I think it's really really exciting I mean you also see you know men's men's health influencing epigenetics which is basically how different qu- qualities health behaviors gen- genetics really expresses itself in baby over the long term so so men who have poorer health and different parameters preconception may contribute to more incidence of metabolic disorders and things like that and so the, the research needs to evolve Even more. But there's a lot there's still there's quite a bit out there. And yeah, I think I think it should be talked about more. Do you think this might lead to in the
0: future, maybe a suggestion of men taking prenatals?
1: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's it is why I formulated our vitality and virility men's men's blend. uh, And it really it was for this reason that, you know, I think, men, it's most important to be taking it preconception. So I think the real challenge here is we've, we're all kind of told it's like you get the positive pregnancy test, maybe you call your OB or, or whatever, right? And then, you know, your OB says, okay, go grab a prenatal. And there's a lot of like understanding and pre, pre-education on that. But what I really advocate for, and what I hope we'll do through Fullwell is to to really educate on the importance of backing up, you know, a f- several months or more, you know, as long as you can before pregnancy and focusing there, because that that's actually almost more important to take one then. So yeah, I think I think it's, I think it's actually negligent, to be honest, if we aren't recommending that men also focus on supplemental nutrients, preconception, and we're, we're still we're looking at this really as just a women's health issue, or we're limiting men's role to just fertilization, because it goes so far beyond that. Mm
0: -hmm. Right, right, exactly. Right. So is there, I know we covered a lot today. Is there anything, a lot, is there anything that you feel like we didn't touch on and you wanted to?
1: Oh, gosh, I know I could just keep talking about this subject. I don't think so. I mean, we do. I'm I'm really proud of the blog posts we have up in the in the Knowledge Well, which is our full well blog. And so I, I really try to make those very comprehensive and good resources. I mean, we're really trying to be a wellness and education brand, you know, um, not just about nutraceuticals, you know, so I I, you know, if that's all right, I'd love to point people oh, yeah, there. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I thank, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to point out too, you know, I, I appreciate that you are somebody who, you know, is a registered dietitian who found that there was this hole or this gap in the industry where you weren't finding what you needed To feel good about a certain product like this prenatal, and you went and just developed it so that you could feel better about, you know, women getting the nutrients that they need. And especially with this blog as well, you know, you have the credentials to be talking about these things. And so it's just a perfect example of. It can be really hard in our day and age with technology where there is so much information at our fingertips and you never know exactly where it's coming from. Well, where this is coming from because Ayla is credentialed and she can talk about all these things. And so anyways, I really appreciate you. And again, this is not in no ways a sponsored podcast episode or anything like that. I I found Ayla on my own behalf two and a half years ago, and I really just appreciated that she took so much time and effort into creating her product. And she's very knowledgeable when it comes to prenatal vitamins and nutrients and all of those things. So thank you so much. And I do actually, I almost just let you go, but I have to ask you two questions. So the first question is, this doesn't have to be about anything we talked about today. The first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would it be?
1: Ah, I think the best advice that I got was to remember that everything is a phase.
0: <laughs> and I know that everything. sounds so basic,
1: but it was yeah. really important to me when you're in the thick of it and you're yeah. like, I just need to know that this is going to <laughs> it's gonna end. So the good stuff, the bad stuff, the hard stuff, right? It's all a phase.
0: I. Can I, I mean I, I probably need to hear that more now than anything because I, I as we were talking before this I feel like this is the first time as a mom of four that I'm I'm like oh my gosh I'm losing it I'm actually losing it because you know we have three daughters and one son and my son, he's going to be five in the summer. And I don't know, I was talking to my friend and she goes, you know what it is? It's the surge of testosterone. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, yeah, between four and five, I, there's like a surge of testosterone and all of a sudden, and I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe that's what it is. But it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a different kid. But I'm like, it's a phase. It's a phase. It's yes. A phase. I have a six year old boy. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm like, what is happening here? I, I, Oh my goodness. Like he used to be like, you know, he was a good listener. He was, I mean, he, he plays with his sisters, right? So he's relatively like calm for the most part. You know, he's got some, sometimes where he goes a little bit crazy, but the last like two months, I'm like, yeah, nuts, right? Yeah. What? Where's my son? what did you do with him? Who is this person? And I, like, I, I can hardly even bring him anywhere at this point. And I have to, I have to go to a million places because you know, like all the COVID restrictions are up and I have to go to the school and I have to go this and I have to go to this game and I'm, I bring him, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I know so
1: you're okay just, God, like, everything you're so just yeah, waiting,
0: waiting for that too. <laughs> waiting for <laughs> him to, to, same with yeah my You son. never know right. how it's going to yeah. go. You never yeah. know. Anyway. Yeah. It's a phase. <laughs> So second question is, if you could feed your family one meal that everybody would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? (sighs) <sighs> well, we
1: really, lately, we really are liking like the bonza pizzas, which is like, I'm talking really quick and easy, but like we're both my husband and I like have our own businesses and we've got, we've got our kids and stuff. So like, I really love that if we add some veggies on the side, because it's a chickpea based crust and it actually, it tastes good. So it's got fiber and protein. And I feel like, okay, we've gotten the protein and the fiber in the kids. Like, you know, there's the cheese in the sauce and they love that. And then, you know, we can and usually get like sliced re- red bell peppers is something that everybody will eat in my house. Your so. kids like it? They do. They do. Well, which, like I feel like yeah. my kids
0: know when I buy a different crust. And they are look at me and they're like, this is not pizza. And I'm like, it is pizza and you will eat it.
1: <laughs> well, one thing I've done is they sell just the crust. And so I've been having them put some, you have to have your patient's like hat on for sure. But like, you know, like I have them put a little sauce on and like smooth it around and then the cheese and then yeah. they're like 90% more likely to eat it.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. I have, uh, over the years, I have learned that if I allow my children to participate in cooking, which is A, good, because then they can cook later on, but B, whenever they participate, they're more likely to eat the food. So yeah, it took me too long to figure that out. So for those listening, get your kids involved in the kitchen and they might actually eat (laughs) dinner. All right, so that's it. Thank you so much, Ayla. I know that you're very, very busy, just like all of us. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us about prenatal vitamins today. This was amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old.